Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. looks like a lamb, speaks like a dragon. Well, that's the description. Let's look at the deeds of this beast. What is his agenda? What is he trying to do or accomplish? There in Revelation 12, I mean, excuse me, 13, look in verse 12. It, referring to this beast coming up out of the earth, it exercises all of the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it's permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of its name. And we'll stop there for a moment. There are a few things here to unpack. Let's quickly look at each of them. The first thing we see in verse 12 is that this beast, also known as the false prophet, exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. Um, Here's a a quote from uh, G.K. Beal. He says, The dragon, the sea beast, and here the land beast in Revelation 13 form a trinity competing with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's his comparisons to help you see it. He says, Just as the Son of God receives authority from the Father, so the beast receives his authority from the dragon, which is Satan. The beast has crowns, as does Christ, and appears as slain and is brought back to life, as does Christ. As the Son of Man steps forward and receives authority from God, by which all people and nations serve Him, so the beast, the land beast, steps forward and is given authority from the dragon, by which the whole world serves Him. And as the Spirit, Holy Spirit, represents the breath of God, so the false prophet gives breath to the statue of the beast in verse 15. And as the Spirit glorifies the Son of God, so the false prophet glorifies the beast. So you have here a deceiver who is an imitator. Now think about it. God is the only one and only original. Okay, There is no one else like our God. And Satan, his oldest play in the book is to deceive. He's the great pretender and the great deceiver. He can't do anything uh, without mimicking God, okay? And so here he is mimicking God, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, an unholy trinity that is working together and is mimicking what 
the Godhead Trinity would do. And uh, it is definitely an unholy trinity, that's for sure. The second thing you see here, not only does he have this authority that he's exercising on behalf of the beast, but now he is uh, compelling the earth and those who live on it to worship the beast uh, whose fatal wound was healed. And we talked about that last week, that this beast from the uh, sea uh, appears to have a fatal wound, but it's somehow healed. It's almost an imitation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is an antichrist. It is a false Christ. And he's trying to appear as one way, and then he's not. There's a lot of theories on how he could have been killed and brought back to life, but we won't go into that right now. Now, the next thing you see here in verse 13, that this beast from the earth, this false prophet, performs great signs. And it even gives you one of the great signs. It says one of the great signs is causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. That's what makes this um, deception so powerful. How many of you would, you know, think about before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ or maybe think of people that you know that will make comments and say, well, unless I see it, I'll never believe it. What are they going to do when they see somebody bring fire from, down from heaven? they're probably going to go, wow, that's got to be it, right? And yet, uh, we know that's been done before, but let me give you an example. Uh, remember Elijah on Mount Carmel in the Old Testament? Um, the, um, he, he confronted the false prophets of Baal, and he said, let the uh, true God um, answer from fire from heaven. And if you know the story, uh, Elijah prepared a, a, an altar, and a, and, a, and a sacrifice, and then, you know, it was a drought, and yet they had some water laying around, and he said, drench that thing, not one, not two, but three times, and then he prayed for fire from heaven to fall, and it did, okay? He was doing that to show that it was physically impossible to be done, and if it did happen, it had to be God, and it was God. Well, like Elijah at Mount Carmel, this false prophet will call fire down to fall from heaven, but he uses this to promote the worship of the beast rather than pointing them to God and to Christ. And so, you know, remember in the Old Testament in Egypt, God used Moses, you know, to exercise these ten plagues to Pharaoh. And at the beginning of the ten plagues, the magicians and the sorcerers that Pharaoh had access to, they could imitate what Moses did up to a point. The first two or three, they could imitate. Oh, you can turn the water to blood? So can we, you know? Uh, but uh, ultimately, God is more powerful. I'm reminded, before we get too deep in this, I'm reminded right now of what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 24, Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said plainly, for false messiahs, and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That says it all. And that's from the lips of our Lord. He says there will be false messiahs that come. There will be false prophets that come. And they are going to perform great signs. I mean, over the top, right? And they're going to perform these great signs and wonders 
that are going to lead people astray. It's going to work, okay? It is going to work because people are going to see it and because they saw it, they're going to say, well, I believe it. And yet he says it's, it's so deceptive that if it were possible, and because he says if possible, it's not, but he says it's so deceptive that if it were possible, it would, you know, it would cause the, those that know Christ to be you know, deceived too, but that's not possible. But that gives you a, a sense of just how dangerous and how deceptive it really is. Um, I agree with Ken, Kendall Easley who plainly says that Revelation chapter 13 deals with the false Christ and the false prophet. In other words, Jesus said, beware of false messiahs or Christ and false prophets that will come. Well, here in Revelation 13 is the, with a capital T, the false Christ, the beast from the sea, and the false prophet, the beast from the earth. Here they are. Um, What else happens? What, what, What is part of the agenda? He exercises authority, this false prophet does. Uh, to, to compel people to worship the first beast. He performs great signs and wonders, even calling, causing fire to fall down from heaven. The next thing he does, he deceives people. Look there in verse 14. It deceives this beast, this false prophet, deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it's permitted to perform in the presence of the beast telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Now, this is very interesting indeed. Now, we know that um, this deception is going to be massive. Matter of fact, if you go back a chapter to Revelation 12, the dragon, when he's introduced... In Revelation 12, verse 9, the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. Did you see that in Revelation 12, 9? The devil, Satan, he is the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels with him. And so Satan is going to have the ability to deceive the whole world. We're talking about a global phenomenon. Okay, um, Dennis Johnson says the earth, the earth beast, the earth beast, which is the false prophet here, his his wonders, whether achieved through occult collusion with the demonic world or through arts of illusion, are directed towards satanic ends. In other words, the agenda is to delude the world's people into receiving the mark of the beast and to destroy those that it cannot deceive. Uh, That is the agenda. Now, um, again, this reminds me, this dangerous deception, pretending to be something that you're you're not, reminds me of another verse in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 11, when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15, Paul writes, For such people are false apostles deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ and no wonder for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light 
So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. And so even though the devil, Satan, is evil, he has a long history of presenting himself as not evil. Okay, He presents himself as an angel of light. He pretends to be something that he's not so that you don't see the danger and you fall for his schemes. Uh, G.K. Bill said, God's true agents, by the power of the Holy Spirit, perform signs to bring glory to God. But the demonic signs convince those on earth of the authority not of God, but of the beast. So you're really going to have a, a big, great divide. Okay, You're going to have a great divide. This is a when, when the world gets to this point, I don't believe there's going to be anybody sitting on the fence. Okay, There's going to be two kinds of people, those that have the mark of the beast uh, that belong to the dragon or those that have the seal of God on their forehead that belong to the lamb. Um, let's go on. I'll try to tie this together at the end. But the, the next thing we see here is that um, in verse 15, uh, this false prophet, this beast, was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast. Now, remember, let's kind of backtrack a little bit here. This beast from the earth, which is the false prophet later on in the book, he has authority that he exercises on behalf of the first beast. He compels the world to worship the first beast. He deceives them so much that he uh, tells those uh, in verse 14 living on earth to make an image of the beast and worship the image. And now here in verse 15, he is permitted to give breath to this image of the beast so that the image of the beast can speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Sounds wild, don't it? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but my sci-fi imagination right now is going ding, 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 you know. Um, one commentator says this, and I thought it was well said. He said, the word breath, when it says that, that the, the false prophet in verse 15 was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast, to give breath, that word breath is literally spirit, but this is an evil spirit. And taking, a, and when you talk about history and Bible times, there were um, talking statues through ventriloquist. That's a hard word to say, right? Yeah. You know, where your lips don't move, but you, you, you know, you can talk. You've probably seen those acts on stage, right? Ventriloquist. I'm not saying that anymore. That's hard to say. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, I just said it. Did you hear me? Yeah. Anyway, you get the idea. But uh, anyway, the point is, they had talking statues through that uh, that were well known in the first century. And that was in the first century. So think about technology today. In the book of Acts, uh, Dr. Luke t uh, told us about a demon-possessed fortune teller. That's in Acts 16, verse 16, where there was a demon-possessed fortune teller. Uh, ancient secular sources describe such people as speaking words outside their own control, but with their mouths closed. Now, whatever form this deception is to take in the final times, uh, just imagine the technology they have today. I mean, they have 
They have cloning technology today. You know that. Uh, matter of fact, two, two quick stories. Years ago, I would say, let's see, Nancy and I got married in 98. I'm going to say it was 99 or 2000. And uh, at the church where I was, um, as an associate pastor, our senior pastor had went to Mexico on a mission trip. And when he came back, he had a full-page newspaper. And he had all kinds of stories. And then he happened to be teaching on Revelation at that time. And when we got to this point, he pulled out this newspaper from Mexico 20 years ago, Reese, okay? This was 20 years ago. Just keep that in mind. This was like 2000, 2001. 20 years ago, whips out this newspaper from Mexico, full page ad. And it was promoting some kind of technology, some kind of communication company. And it had it here and here. And he goes, makes you think, don't it? You know? your hand or your forehead when you read about this mark of the beast in Revelation 13. We don't know what it is, but when you start seeing technology come out that deals with your hand and your forehead, I'm not saying that's it, but I'm saying it doesn't take much of imagination to say, well, whatever it is, it's not that far off anymore. You know, it's 2021 now. That was 20 years ago. Well, something I discovered just this week uh, Y'all have heard of AI. AI is short for artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is a big thing now. And there is a company headquartered in Montreal, Canada. It's called the Lyrebird team. And they are the AI research division of a company called Descript. And they are an AI-based media company. And what they do is they have this technology, and I saw a video, you can look this up. They have this technology where you get in front of a computer and you go to a certain page and it's got some written statements there and you hit a button, a microphone button, and you read those statements and it records your voice, okay? And once you read all those statements and you know, you've said different syllables and letters and stuff, once you read all that and you click in, it's recorded your voice. Now you click another button and in one minute, one minute, it reproduces your voice through artificial intelligence. And it sounds like you. And in the video, I, I, I saw the guy called his mom and let the voice talk to her. She didn't know. That's how good it is. That's some of the technology that we have today. And so I don't know, okay, I, I don't have all this figured out. I'm just like you. I read this stuff and it stirs my imagination. It makes me inquisitive. I have all kinds of questions and I wish I could answer your questions and mine. I really don't know who this will be and how it will go down, but I'm just trying to uh, stay true to the text, but I'm also trying to stir your imagination a little bit to say, listen, Technology exists today to where you have a false prophet that is able to give breath, whatever that means, to an image, and the image is able to talk, and people will believe it. There is technology now 
that would make that look seamless. And that's scary, okay? That's scary. Um, it's scary in the sense that we can be so easily deceived today. I mean, we really, really can. We're very vulnerable to that. Um, notice it says that it's permitted to give breath to this image of the beast so that it can speak. And as a result, there in verse 15, uh, this image of the beast and the, the false prophet can cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And so this uh, false prophet has authority to compel people to worship the beast to the point that if you don't worship the beast, he has the authority to say, you're done, you're dead. Now, I uh, find that interesting. Uh, as, as one commentator says, he says, this shows plainly enough the terrible danger of false religion. What began as following the beast now leads to worshiping the beast, which in turn leads to killing those who reject the beast. Now, the text here does not specify that everyone refusing to worship will be killed. It just simply says that he has the power to kill you if you don't. Okay. Now, this pattern has been repeated throughout history, but this time it will play out on a worldwide stage, a global scale. You might say, well, where has that happened? What's happened in Bible history? Uh, if you love the book of Daniel like I do, you'll remember the, the story when Nebuchadnezzar built an image, a statue, and he demanded that everybody worship it. And... Uh, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow. And when the king heard about it, he said, bring them in. And Nebuchadnezzar the king said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And I love this part. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Well, spoiler alert, he got the answer to that question, didn't he? There was a fourth man in the fire that looked like a son of man. And that's another name for Jesus. But that's another story for another day. In verse 16, as we continue to unpack the agenda, the deeds of this beast from the earth, this false prophet, in verse 16, he makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of his name. Now, some of you will say, I, I just can't imagine that happening, okay? That could happen sooner than you think. You know it? Have you heard them? I, I don't say this to scare you. I'm just saying this to help you realize that stuff like this could happen before our eyes much quicker than we ever dreamed. You know, some countries right now are pushing for a vaccine passport. 
And if you can't produce proof that you've had the vaccine, you can't travel, you can't go here, you can't go there, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, that's just an example, okay? But there will come a day and a time, I don't know what form it will take, I don't know what it will look like, but there will come a day and a time when the Antichrist arrives on the scene and the false prophet, they will somehow have their agenda tied to the economic system of the world and no one will be able to buy or sell unless he has the mark of the beast. That's what it says right there in verse 17. That's In, in, in this information age where we're all connected through technology, it doesn't take much of a leap to go, yeah, that could happen, okay? Um, we're already in this decade, we are already heading toward the uh, Internet of Things. Now, if you don't know what that is, Google that sometime. Internet of Things. Uh, it's based on machine-to-machine -machine technology. Uh, have you noticed uh, last time I went to Lowe's, they had a, um, a, a toilet with a, uh, a, um, a screen on it? Not making this up, you know. It's been a while since I've been at Lowe's. But it's out there. Okay. In other words, you're seeing all kinds of computer technology attached to all kinds of things that make you go, well, I don't know about all that. Machine-to-machine -machine technology. In another decade or two, all of, the, all of the corporate tech companies out there are going to have all of the machines that we use on a daily basis tied to the Internet. They'll know when something goes down before you do, Herman. Okay. It's scary to think about. But we're headed in that direction to where everything's going to be connected. And so here uh, he makes everyone receive the mark of the beast. Now stick with me uh, and we'll look at what that looks like. Um, I, I like this one commentator, Kendall Easley. He was very helpful on this chapter of the Revelation. But he says the term in the Greek uh, was used in ordinary Greek to refer to the mark. So the term in in Greek that refers to the mark of the beast, it referred to a mark of the emperor's head on a coin or an imperial stamp on a business document. That's the way that particular term was used in Greek language back in Bible times. But apart from Acts 17 where it means image, the rest of the time this term is used is strictly in Revelation where it is translated as a mark. And it's always in connection with the mark of the beast. Now, the first couple times it's mentioned here in verse 16 and 17, the mark is on the right hand or on the forehead. And uh, you can't buy or sell anything unless you have the mark, verse 17. Uh, that appears to be uh, positive benefits. In other words, you have this, you can do something with it. But when you read the other five times that it appears... In Revelation, it's a curse. Uh, we'll look at those very quickly. But in Revelation 14, verse 9, uh, a third angel spoke with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath. Okay? So that's definitely a curse. And uh, then in... Uh, Verse 11 of chapter 14, uh, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. And so eternal torment. Uh, if you jump to Revelation 16, verse 2, 
Revelation 16, verse 2, it says, The first went and poured out, this is the bowl judgments, the first bowl, uh, it's poured out on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. So that sounds like a curse to me. In Revelation 19, verse 20, is the next time that the mark is mentioned. In Revelation 19, verse 20, says, The beast was taken prisoner, and along with it the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. And so that's not good either. And then, of course, in Revelation 20, verse 4, you see here that... You see the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the Word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark of, uh, on their forehead or on their hands. So they didn't, uh, they didn't accept the uh, mark of the beast. So that's, that's what the rest of Revelation says about this mark in relation to the mark of the beast. Now, the mark of the beast is opposite of the seal of God on our forehead. Matter of fact, um, next week we'll be in Revelation 14. And uh, look in verse 1, Revelation 14, 1. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with Him were 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. You know, something peculiar going on here with forehead, right? Um, Just seeing some comparisons and contrasts there. The Lamb's seal is the guarantee of being of entering into heaven, just as the beast mark is guaranteed for entry into hell. And in John's vision here in Revelation, apparently in the end, when the Lord comes back, all people living at the end of the world will have one mark or the other, okay? Either the mark of the beast or the seal of God on their forehead. Now, the practical question, before we try to figure out what all this means, the practical question is, How can I avoid the mark of the beast? And I like this one answer. This one guy said, the answer is simple. If you know the Lord, then you don't have to worry about it. Okay, Because if you you know the Lord, you already have the seal of God. You can't trade the seal for the mark. Okay, So hope that gives you a little bit of of peace there. Um, This last verse in Revelation 13, It says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it's the number of a person. Its number is 666. And ever since people have heard that, how many times have you been to the grocery store or checkout line and somebody gives you change? No, you can keep that. I know it's happened to you. It's had to have happened to you. (laughs) Uh, People don't like that number 666. Uh, because of the connotation. Um, When I looked that up, 666 is the numerical symbol for the beast, and it stands for incompleteness and imperfection. Uh, It is a threefold six, 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 six. It's a demonic parody of the Trinity. You have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, and they are imitating the Godhead, and they're wanting all the glory for themselves, and they're deceiving the world to bring them along toward their own agenda, which is deceptive and, quite frankly, dangerous and destructive. 
there are three primary approaches to this number 666. And this is kind of a, I don't think you've got this quote, Devin, because it's so long I didn't classify it as a quote, but I'm going to read it. It's from a, a book that I found. And uh, if it goes over your head, guess what? It went over my head too, but I just wanted to give this to you. Um, somebody much smarter than me said there are three main views on what 666 is. Uh, one view is it's a triangular number, and you go, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, for some interpreters, Revelation reveals a triangular number where you add up successive numbers, okay? So you would add 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6. You would add successive numbers together. That's triangular numbers. Square numbers are the sum of sequential odd numbers, like 1, 3, 5, 7, 9. Um, and then you've got rectangular numbers, which are the sum of successive even numbers, like 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. So 666 is a triangular number of 36. So if you add the digits 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way up to 36 together, you get 666. And that's a triangular number of 8. And that connects to the beast uh, that is mentioned as 8 in Revelation 17, 11. And some people say, well, there's the number. And then they say, we think it's Nero. And I'm like, okay. And then some others really get into this too, because see, it's a number. So some people look at this and they take a, a number approach, a mathematic approach. And so some appeal to an ancient system called gematria. And I hope I said that right, gematria. Now, gematria is an ancient practice where each letter of the alphabet is assigned a number, okay? So A is 1, B is 2, C is 3, D is 4. And so you write out, you write out um, Jim Hines, and then you go, well, J is, and you count it up, whatever number that is. And you're lucky, Jim, because that's not 666. So I knew that, right? So, but you, you get the idea. Yeah, you get the idea. You take the letters, you assign them to numbers, and that's the way uh, Gemeritra works. Uh, if Nero Caesar is transliterated from Greek into Hebrew, it equals 666. And so based on that day and time, they thought it was Nero. Well, obviously... History says it wasn't Nero. Now, the third option is this. The third option is its symbolism. And obviously, I'm going to lean in that direction because this is the most symbolic book of the Bible. Uh, sometimes in Revelation, the symbols are interpreted. Like, for instance, we're talking about a beast from the earth. And we keep reading in Revelation and we discover that the beast of the earth is called the false prophet. That's an example of a symbol being interpreted. Um, sometimes we have the interpretation in Revelation. Sometimes we have the interpretation within the word of God somewhere else in the Bible. And then sometimes we're still wondering, what does that mean? Well, the third option is symbolism. And like other numbers in Revelation, this number is treated symbolically, and the figurative significance of 666 begins with the number 6. Um, many people believe that 7 is the perfect number, so 6 falls short of 7. It's imperfect, 
and 666 describes the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet that imitate the true Trinity, Godhead, but they're not. They fall short of that. That might be a little simple, but that makes more sense to me than putting letters and numbers together. But what do I know? I didn't like algebra anyway. So anyway, I hope there's no math teachers in here. Please forgive me if, I, if you are, but all right. So there, are, there is value in all of these approaches, and different scholars emphasize different approaches. But at the end of the day, be careful if you use the triangular numbers. Be careful if you use the gematria techniques. Um, I like... Uh, I like what uh, G.K. Beale said. He says, John is exhorting saints to spiritual and moral discernment, not intellectual ability to solve a complex mathematical problem, which unbelievers as well as Christians are mentally capable of solving. And I went, praise the Lord, you're right. Okay, uh, I would put this right up there with when, uh, Jesus, when Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive, and he said 70 times 7. And so everybody went out and said 70 times 7, 490 times. So-and-so's gotten on my nerves 480 times. They better watch. They got 10 more, right? We're not getting that literal with math. I'm saying that in jest. But um, same, same goes for here, I believe. Let me read a couple more passages, and I will quickly wrap this up. I want you to know that I do think this can be symbolic, and let me show you why. Go back to Exodus 13 for just a moment. That's the second book of the Old Testament. In Exodus 13, um, Moses is giving instruction to those about how they are to observe the, the Passover. And he says in Exodus 13, verse 6, For seven days you must eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there is to be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread is to be eaten for those seven days. Nothing Leaven may be found among you, and no yeast may be found among you in all your territory. And on that day, explain to your son. Okay, so they're, they're doing something God commanded them to do. Kids start coming up, and they always want to know why, why, how come, because, why, why. And so when your son asks you, why are you doing this? God says, here's what you tell him. This is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you on your hand and a reminder on your forehead so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Now, God is talking to believers there and He says when you observe this and you explain it to your kids, tell them it's like a sign on your hand or your forehead. Isn't that interesting? So see, when you read in Revelation about the mark of the beast being on your hand or your forehead, if you've ever go, if you've ever wondered when you read that, why does that sound familiar? Because way back in the book of Exodus, God told them this. So for that reason, I really do think that this mark, whatever it is, is a sign. Okay? And I don't think you have to worry about it if you are a believer in Christ, because if you're a believer in Christ, you're already sealed by God. Okay? But you still need to be aware of deception because it's going to be that dangerous out there. Uh, one last verse, and I'll wrap this up. Revelation 7, 
that's where we're told about the seal for believers. In Revelation 7, verse 2 and 3, uh, John said, I saw another angel rising up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. And he said, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. So if you are a believer in Christ, you may not see it physically, but spiritually you are sealed. Matter of fact, Paul told the Corinthian church that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of your redemption. God has branded you. He's put His seal of ownership upon you through the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so if you have the seal, you don't have to worry about the mark. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, there will be false messiahs, there will be false prophets that will deceive if it were possible, but it's not, even the elect. So the fact that you are saved and you're sealed by the Spirit of God, you will be able to detect and discern this. And that leads to my last thing, and I'll wrap this up. It says in verse 18, this calls for wisdom. My challenge to you tonight is this. Seek God's wisdom. Obey His word. Yield to His spirit. Follow His will. Imitate His ways. And you will have God's wisdom. And my, my challenge to you tonight is this. Will you ask God for wisdom and discernment? so that when this time comes, you'll know exactly where God is and what's going on in the world. Um, God has given us His Spirit, and His Spirit lives within, and His Spirit is the ultimate truth detector. That's why it says in the New Testament to test the spirits to see whether or not they come from God. And that's what you do. And so um, that's where I'll leave it tonight. I know there's a lot of questions you might have. Trust me, there's a lot of questions I still have. But again, instead of getting lost in the trees, I want you to see the big picture, the forest, that in the last days there's going to be an unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Or you could say the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet. And they will work in cahoots with each other. They will deceive the whole world, specifically everyone who doesn't know Christ. And it'll be a time where there's no fence stragglers. You will either know the Lord and you'll have the seal, or you don't and you'll have the mark. There's no, no other way around it. So you and I need to pray for our friends and our loved ones while there's still time. Because until the Lord comes back, guess what's making him tarry? Guess what's delaying the Lord's return? He's giving people time to Repent. Second Peter chapter 3. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. Thank you for this time and your word. Lord, I pray that you would use this to encourage us and to remind us, Lord, that in the end, you win. Lord, we may wonder what all we're going to have to go through and what all the world will go through before it finally does come to an end. But Lord, in the end, you win. And all those in Christ win because we belong to you. Lord, just give us strength. Give us wisdom. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.